0: You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome on into to your Tuesday edition of the Locked On Syracuse podcast, Tyler Rocky, and Tim Leonard. It's game week here, We've got UNC to look forward to, and we're breaking everything down Syracuse for you every single day this week. A lot to get to today because we're actually going to push back our... Positional preview for the pass catcher. So that's going to come up on tomorrow's show. We're going to lump those in there tomorrow with another position group. And and then we're also going to later on in this show get to some recruiting news because that came out of nowhere today. Enrique Cruz, big one for the Orange. So we'll break down a four-star tackle coming to the Orange, one of the highest-rated guys in this class, but of course, Tim, we got to start with this. It is the depth chart, and we've what a depth given out chart a little bit of analysis. <laughs> yep. We, we've uh, we've given a little analysis so far on our Twitter account, at LO underscore Syracuse. So you can check out some of the things we said there, and as well as get some of the other updates to the show and all that stuff. But, oh boy. <laughs> um, Where do we start? <laughs> I, so I've got eight takes. From this, And we can go down the line of that, and then if there's anything I miss, you can kind of okay, fill in the I holes like for me. But I'll start, uh, and this isn't one of the eight, but it, it was pretty conveniently released after Dino had his press conference because you know he's going to have a lot of questions to answer about this had this been released ahead of time. But we're not going to be able to talk to Dino for the rest of the week now. So it's just kind of floating out there, and and we're going (laughs) to see what happens on on Saturday against UNC. Another interesting thing I thought Dino said today was that the moral player opt-out deadline has passed, in his opinion. So,
0: Yeah, um, I thought that was interesting. I
1: I thought that was kind of interesting that that got put out there. So maybe, I, I guess he probably knows, and if he doesn't know by now, he's probably a little frustrated with some of the guys who maybe haven't gone and fully disclose their intents for the upcoming season. But I guess we'll start with this in the backfield. The the big thing was that there was no Jarvion Howard. There was no Abdul Adams. So it appears that those two guys are going to be opting out. Again, nothing confirmed quite yet. He said that we could hit him up, and I guess a couple of people have tried to hit him up and (laughs) have gotten no response. So I guess that's how that's going to work. But so the running back position is... Uh, consisting of two guys. It is Joar Jordan and Markenzie Pierre with Joar Jordan being the guy who's going to be slotted in at that starting running back spot.
0: Yeah, a little surprising maybe that Jordan jumps Pierre, but I think we all sort of knew deep down that he would be the main guy, and we've talked about this a lot because it did seem like the opting out at the running back spot between those two main guys that we thought were going to be in Adams and Howard was coming. This, obviously, we haven't heard anything official on it, but to me, this kind of unofficially announces it officially. Like, it's, it's known now that these guys are opting out. We unfortunately probably won't know until the very first question of the press conference after UNC, regardless of what happens in the game. I bet one of the first couple questions, and I hope one of the first couple questions, will be, hey, Dino, have those guys opted out? And then he'll probably answer it there, but I would be very surprised if they're on the field at UNC, and I'd be pretty surprised if they're on the field at all this season at this point. And now I'm not too worried about the running back. I mean, we're going to go to all these million takeaways that came from this wonky depth chart, which we predicted it on Friday, and we never could have predicted some of the things that have popped up on this depth chart here on Monday when we're recording. But there, we should preface, and I I think this is maybe a personal opinion of mine, but Dino has done some different things with the two deep in the past, and, like, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, it wouldn't shock me if this isn't exactly how it plays out on Saturday. I still think they're, yeah, I mean, it's just this is what he put down, and keep in mind, he put these down with trying to create an advantage for unc in that game as much as possible and that's first and foremost the biggest priority right now so there's some things that are still kind of unclear and as you said there's a million questions i'd love to ask dino but we won't get to ask them and we'll just have to wait and see on saturday but i i will say he has done some weird stuff depth chart related in the past i mean you think back to a couple years ago just look at how Andre Schmidt came out of nowhere to kick the first extra point. Yeah, that's, day one. Yep. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. one example that I can think of where you look at that, and he was not on the depth chart, and then he became the Lou Groza Award winner, and apparently he was shining in camp, and we never knew. So he keeps it pretty close to the vest with a lot of this stuff.
1: That kind of leads me into the next thing that I was going to get into, and that's Chris Elmore at guard. <laughs> yeah. No Dakota Davis. He was recovering from an injury in the offseason, and we don't see Davis's name on the depth chart at all. Um, but Chris Elmore is your starting you can't help but left laugh, guard right? on uh, this. Yeah. It's- I mean,. Is he even allowed to wear number five on the offensive line? Is that is that an allowable thing? I, like, I don't know. but I love it. But to, to that point, too, I did see a tweet come across from Stephen Bailey from the Post Standard, and he basically said uh, he's got a little pause as to whether or not that actually is going to be the case come Saturday. So while, while that's what it is on the, the depth chart now, we could very well see that change between now and when they take the field down in Chapel Hill. So... That's something that I think is on the back of my mind. Again, also, no Chris Bleich on this yes, depth chart yeah. either. So,
0: And it's I worth mean, noting that it seems like there's some rumblings that he's still recovering from his surgery anyway. So I don't know if he would have been ready to play at UNC to begin with. But, I mean, it's still inexcusable what the NCAA is doing and how they have failed to... Give any sort of answer to bletch that we know of, and we're we're recording this here on Monday night, and they—I mean, the game's in five days now, four days really, if you kind of look at it a different way. So I don't know, it's it's ridiculous.
1: Can I get? Can I give you a little uh gamesmanship strategy that they should use right here? Yeah, of course. Here's what they should do: just roll them out there. The NCAA clearly has no idea who this dude is because <laughs> they refuse to acknowledge his waiver. Just roll him out there. Let him play. Let the kids play,
0: and, <laughs> and, and just <laughs> see what happens. Like, who cares? They they definitely um, they clearly get, have no idea. There would be who some this guy is, loss but. of a recruit scholarship or something, right? I mean, you can't just get away with that. I feel like the announcers. I don't know. Pick they, up on that.
1: Apparently, he's a ghost to them. Yeah, so that's a good point. Uh, just just do it. They, they they try to look him up in the system to suspend him for a game, and they just wouldn't be able to do yeah. it. So.
0: But no, we we can't blow by Chris Elmore being the left guard of Syracuse football right now. I, I just never thought I would see that when this depth chart came out. And we knew that offensive line had some injuries. It does seem like Dakota Davis, as you mentioned, I think it's pretty safe to assume he's out with an injury right now. So... I would say the general reaction to the depth chart for a lot of people was, holy cow, Elmore is our left guard. Our offensive line is going to be terrible again. I I am concerned. I mean, it's not great. The guy's six feet tall. By our count, I don't think he ever played it in high school. I mean, we know he's played in the trenches some, and I love Chris Elmore. I love him as a football player, as a leader. I know he's a very versatile football player, but... I mean, I will be very keen to watch him play against UNC at the left guard position if that does happen. Like you said, it might not happen. However, I kind of feel like it, it is at this point, because why, I say why would you put him on the depth chart, but I, I don't know, maybe there is some gamesmanship involved in that. I just found that whole thing very, very surprising, because there was no rumblings of that at camp, but by all accounts, it seems like that is going to be his position, And that's how we have to operate under right now. And he does have some size. We know he's played some defensive line in the past. And apparently he beat out Patrick Davis for the job, who Patrick Davis is a four-year guy. I mean, maybe Rhino is just playing really well in camp and we shouldn't just completely discount him before that. But just from a measurable standpoint, the six feet is very concerning to me. And the kind of desperation that it reeks of the move of switching a guy who's played fullback and D line to left guard on top of allowing 10 sacks in the scrimmage that we know was reported. I'm worried about the O line, but, but maybe I shouldn't be as worried because it's really what we expected. It's just Chris Elmore. And who knows Chris Elmore, if he beat out Patrick Davis, maybe he is going to be good.
1: My silver lining to that is I don't have to see him split out wide if he is playing left guard. (laughs) So that's that's my big thing with Chris Elmore. All right, I've got a couple more thoughts on the depth chart. But first, I got to tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com. You know, in today's world, you've got to make a lot of tough decisions when it comes to maintaining your car. Kind of like how Dino had to figure out this depth chart. But sometimes there's an easy answer right in front of you, like starting Tommy DeVito at QB. And that's the simple choice that rockauto.com provides for you. Rockauto.com, unlike all the other chain stores, does not offer you different price tiers for different parts. No, you know you are getting the lowest price when you go to rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com and you can get... Thousands of parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything, whether you need an engine control module, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even just a new carpet because you've been driving around so much and kids are practicing their fall sports and getting into the swing of things, you can get it at rockauto.com. The website is super easy to navigate and the catalog is seamless as well. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals as well as do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you again right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com let's move on to a couple more here let's get to the defensive side of the ball a little bit here No Tyrell Richards. That leaves Syracuse with a linebacking core. Let me read it off for you here. Your starters. Well, okay. So when I say no Tyrell Richards, I mean on the two deep entirely. Yeah. So at the weak side, you've got Michael Jones, who's backed up by Marlo Wax, a guy who you noted earlier in the week when we were guessing the depth chart. Yeah, that surprised me as well. In the middle, you've got Jeff Canton followed up by Lee Koba. And then at the strong side linebacker position, Uh, It's Stephon Thompson and Steve Linton. So, Steve Linton, a guy who we were a little high on earlier, is in the backup role. And Stephon Thompson, the true freshman that's going to come in. So, now that gives you no one older than a true sophomore at linebacker this year. And I think the big surprises were Thompson and Wax being listed on that depth chart and now you're you're rolling with a little bit of an unorthodox group and a very young group as well that's being asked to learn a new defense right away.
0: Yeah, who knows if Tyrell Richards is opting out, if he's injured, another one of those questions that we would love to ask Dino Babers right now. But uh, very interesting that Thompson, to me, is the starter ahead of Steve Linton. Considering Linton is a redshirt freshman in his second year, Thompson just got to the team this year in the school this year and a pretty good recruit, but I mean, I would have been surprised, not surprised, but I would have said like 50-50, he was on the two deep to begin with, and now here he is as the starter, which again, will he start actually on Saturday? Who knows? Will he play more than Steve Linton? We'll see, but I really like Steve Linton. I really like the talk that was coming from camp about Steve Linton, and that was honestly one of the more surprising things from the step chart, right behind the fact that our left guard is now a former fullback who is wearing number five, which I don't know how you top that. Maybe if Tommy DeVito wasn't starting or something, that would top it. But no Tyrell Richards, very concerning. I really like him in this three-three-five scheme. I think a lot of people, that's kind of consensus that he's really built well for this. He's one of the main guys coming back at that position group, which has some question marks as we detailed. So if you don't have him and you've got Thompson as a starting freshman, that's another just general theme and takeaway from this depth chart. I think you noted it when you tweeted something out for us, a lot of freshmen on this entire depth chart. Yeah, And, and when I saw
1: that not. depth chart too, so last year there were four people on the two deep, four players on the two deep last year that were freshmen or redshirt freshmen. This year, and I tweeted out the number earlier, it was 14, but that was before I got to see the special teams part because the initial tweet that came out was from Stephen Bailey, yeah. and it kind of cut off the special teams. That number balloons to 18 Holy smokes. when you include that. So this is a very, very young, inexperienced group that's going to be going up against a top 25 team in the nation to kick things off on Saturday And I've seen that point spread move from 18.5 to now up to 22. And everyone is up in arms right now about how can you show this team that disrespect. Well, look at the depth chart. Yeah, it's a little scary. You're playing with a lot of of out-of-order guys and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll see how that all transpires on Saturday. And we'll get into some of our picks later on in the week and all that good stuff. But it's certainly concerning, especially on the offensive line and then the, the shuffling on the defense. Who knows what to expect? One of the other big shuffles, and I actually kind of like this one, is I, this kind of came to me as a, a pleasant surprise, but you're cornerback two, and it's going to be Garrett Williams as the starter for this team. He's going to be backed up by Neil Nunn. and. Yeah. I found that very intriguing, and on top of that, that means that Trill Williams is moving to the field safety spot, and he's going to be a starter in that defensive backfield alongside Andre Cisco and Eric Coley. So they must have a lot of faith in, in a guy like Garrett Williams. Again, another one of those young guys, a redshirt freshman, so you hope he's up to the task there because he's going to go up against some really good receivers this year.
0: Yeah, Garrett Williams was surprising because I expected Iffy and Trill to be the starting cornerbacks. But as you said, you move around Trill, and you've also got Cisco at the rover position. That's worth noting. Backing up Cisco is Ben Labrosi, another young guy who we're both very high on, and I think he fits very well into the rover scheme going forward. So I kind of liked seeing that as well and just seeing his name on the two deep because, I mean, that is one way to look at all these freshmen is oh, okay, they're developing at a higher rate maybe. Like a Garrett Williams, maybe he's just a diamond in the rough. Who's to say he isn't right now? But you would expect Neil Nunn from recruiting rankings and everything to probably be higher than him. And I actually expected to see Nunn in the safety position, knowing that is kind of at least what we thought was the original plan for him coming to Syracuse. But I like him as a cornerback. And Williams too. I mean, they're both kind of physical guys that – I think could match up very well as the cornerbacks in this 3-3-5 scheme. I
1: remember Garrett Williams, when he committed to Syracuse, one of the things he told me was he prided himself on the physicality that he plays with. And I think that by him being a starting cornerback this year... That's more of an endorsement for him. I agree. Because I think you have to have a certain type of faith in Williams opposite Iffy, because we know Iffy's a stud. He's going to be one of the better cornerbacks in the ACC this year, a guy who could land all ACC when things are all said and done. But I think this is a definite endorsement for Garrett Williams, or otherwise you just throw Trill there and hope that something sticks at the other safety spot alongside Andre Sisco and Eric Coley, a place where you've got a little more experience in the secondary. This feels like an absolute endorsement for Garrett Williams, and now you're just going to throw Trill back there because you can, and you know he's a versatile player, and you just want to find a place on the field for a guy like Garrett Williams.
0: Yeah, I still love the defensive backs as a group. I was surprised to see no Adrian Cole as well, and Kyle Strickland was, was mentioned. At, yeah. He's a mm-hmm. walk-on no Devon Clark. Chase Atkinson gets into the two deep as one of the backup cornerbacks. It's just a freshman. So another one of those freshmen, and that that's a general theme I have about this team as a whole this year, is there is not a ton of depth to the Syracuse roster, whether it's at offensive line or it's at any of these positions, really. It's asking a lot of freshmen to step up if injuries abound if COVID positives start to become a thing that is more frequent than maybe we're anticipating, or just a thing even at all at some critical spots, if they get hit there, they could be in trouble. And we found out last year that last year's team was a little bit more fragile at some certain spots than maybe we expected, like offensive line. I mean, not to go backwards, but the offensive line, Mark Petrie is is a new weight addition from Germany, and he's your backup tackle at both spots, and he's only clocking in at 265 pounds on the step chart, as they have him listed. If your backup tackle is 265 and kind of an unheralded recruit in, I think, his first year with the program, maybe a second year, regardless, he has not seen any real significant snaps. Well, if you lose one of your tackles, I'd like to think they'd probably shift around Vettorello and and put him back a tackle where we've seen him some, or maybe you you put in a different game plan. But that just kind of shows you that while the offensive line is already doesn't look that great, I think the more concerning part about the O-line and some of these other position groups is if injuries happen, then this could really get ugly.
1: Right. So one more offensive thing, and then I've got a special teams note I want to point out from uh, this depth chart reaction that we've got going on here. Let's go to the wide receiver position, and I know we're going to preview the pass catchers tomorrow along with the offensive line, but two things kind of stood out to me. First off, Anthony Quigley, a guy who Dino Babers has been very complimentary of. He cracks the starting lineup as that starting receiver on the outside opposite of Taj Harris, and then behind Taj Harris is Justin Barron, another one of those freshmen. So... We know that Dino really likes what the, the freshman receiving core has done in practice, and he's he hasn't singled out individual freshmen, but he's talked about them as a collective, that he's been really happy with the way that they've performed. And then on top of that, I mean, a guy like Quealy, who I was always a big fan of when he came out. He's another big body on that outside, and I guess this is going to be one of the questions that we answer tomorrow, but... Is there a sleeper guy who could lead the team in receiving? Because right now, I think it's pretty consensus. If you ask people, they'd tell you Taj Harris. Maybe you get a couple Nikeem Johnson votes in there.
0: Yeah, I think. It, but it's could Harris. one of
1: these other guys maybe emerge? And that's a question that we'll dive into a little bit more tomorrow. But I just I see the shuffling there at the wide receiver position, and again, it comes at the cost of Ed Hendricks, a guy who was supposed to be one of the better receivers Syracuse was going to have for the foreseeable future. And he really hasn't gotten his opportunity to shine because of injuries and red shirts and all that stuff. So he bumps down to the the backup spot behind Queeley. But again, he's going to see the field a good amount because of the number of four and five receiver sets that Syracuse runs.
0: Yeah, I like seeing Barron on that too, Deep, especially because he's 6'4". And Syracuse lost Cameron Jordan, as we know. He left the program. So you could use some height there for the red zone. I know they have the tight end, so we both really like. But maybe... Baron blossoms into somewhat of a red zone threat, if not this year, but later on down the road. The last note I have offensively, no Kadir White on this too deep. I talked about that. Once we were again, predicting yep. it on Friday. I mean, clock's kind of ticking there, and just another two deep where I'm disappointed to not see his name. We really haven't heard anything good in relation to Kadir White since he stepped on Syracuse's campus. And we're going to talk about another four-star offensive tackle that's coming at the end of this podcast. But it goes to show you, I mean, he was kind of a project to begin with, but I'm just disappointed that they haven't gotten the rewards out of that that you would have anticipated by then, especially considering that's been our problem for at least last year it was. And now we're looking at this year and a lot of our talk, I think, again, is going to be focused on the offensive line.
1: And you're hoping that that is not going to be the same case with Enrique Cruz, kind of like you mentioned just there. One of those highly touted guys, Syracuse brings in. You're hoping he can bolster the offensive line. But we will talk about Cruz in just a little bit. Special teams note I want to throw in there before we do get into some of that recruiting talk. James Williams is the backup punter for this team. It's going to be Nolan Cooney that's going to take over that that highly touted throne of the Syracuse punter legacy. But while some people might be a little surprised by this, I will mention this side note. And it's the fact that the past two studs that Syracuse has had kicking the ball away for them on fourth down, they were both guys that sat out a little bit. Riley Dixon only appeared in two games through his first two seasons with the Orange. Sterling Hoffrichter had a full red shirt his freshman's his true freshman season with su so james williams maybe he's going to take a little bit of time who knows maybe this year again you get the blanket waiver and on top of that you also have the fact that you can appear in up to four games and maybe that number has changed this year i haven't seen anything about that but you can appear in up to four games and and still maintain your a full season of eligibility on top of that. So maybe we will see a little bit of him. If some games start to get out of hand at some point, you'll see a little James Williams, see what he can do. And maybe he does take that spot from Nolan Cooney. But for right now, it looks like Nolan Cooney is going to be the punter. But again, all of that can change come Saturday. Yeah. It could be uh, you brought up Andre Schmidt earlier right. in the show and how he just stepped onto the field and was the one kicking that extra point against Western Michigan on that first drive. We could see that the first time Syracuse has to punt. It could be James Williams yeah, deep to, to punt it away. Right. So,
0: And you hit on something there that, just a general note, I, I agree with wholeheartedly. And I think this may have factored into the decision to put a lot of these freshmen or redshirt freshmen on the depth chart is everyone gets eligibility back if they want it. Blanket waiver this year. So it's an opportunity to really develop those freshmen and not burn a year. Whereas before you'd be worried about that four game mark, maybe someone like Chase Atkinson, just to throw out a name, perhaps you throw him in there to spell someone at cornerback for a couple more plays and you're not worried about his games total because you know that if you need to, you can just get that year back. Exactly. All
1: right. Coming up next, we're going to dive into some recruiting. Enrique Cruz, one of the top guys in this class of 2021 is coming to the orange. We will break it all down coming up next. So during that break, we actually just got a message from our guy Matthew Gutierrez over there at the Athletics. So Chris Elmore going to wear number 63 on Saturday. So he is going to blend into that (laughs) offensive line. I would have liked to see a number five on on that offensive line, but maybe that answers the question that we had earlier in the show about, is he even allowed to wear number five on the offensive line? Also, it kind of proves that
0: there is some validity to him being an offensive lineman. If this guy's changing his number, I mean, this is no smokescreen by Dino, I think we can say for sure now.
1: I'm hoping you cannot wear number 63 if you're spread out wide either. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. My fingers are crossed. Anyway, let's get into a guy who we know is through and through an offensive lineman, and that is Enrique Cruz, a four-star guy by 24-7. He's ranked number 202 by 24/7. On the composite his numbers are a little bit lower. He's at only a 3 star by the composite and is also ranked 477th in the class, but regardless, a really good get for the orange in this class. And again, we talked about this around the Justin Lampson commitment. You, you get the quarterback, and then you build around that. Yeah. And that's kind of what we have seen ever since then. And I think also, this is kind of how you see the flows of classes as well, at least with Syracuse, is you get one guy, and then the snowball starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you start to see all these guys kind of jump into the family at once. I mean, in this past month, they've gotten their top three guys in the class, that being Cruz, you've got Deuce Chestnut, and then Amari Hatcher as well. Yeah. So. You're starting to see these guys filter in more and more. And again, there might be some more on the way. I know we've talked a little bit about the fact that this blanket waiver could mess some things up down the line. But when you're starting to get the beef of your class and the best players and all the talent pouring in at once. You're not going to say no to those guys. You're going to bring those guys into the class now and figure out the rest later and how all the numbers work when you get to 2022 and 2023. Those are tomorrow's problems. And again, in college, I'm fine with that. It's not like the NBA where you would have to take a little bit of a lump and tank maybe, or the NFL right, where yeah. you have to, okay, maybe you bear a one in 15. It's not, It doesn't work like that because you bring new guys in every four years. And especially with the fact that some of these guys are going to be around a little longer and not just that, but these 2021 guys can get a valuable red shirt on their resumes as well. I think it's helpful for this team and you're going to start to see some really good players come in these next couple of years, whether it's via the transfer market or if it's guys like Cruz and Lamson and Hatcher and Deuce Chestnut that are sort of paving the way for the rest of these guys and say, hey. We can be a football school. You should join us and build something special. We're starting to see the something special develop a little bit right now.
0: Yeah, I cannot overstate how important nabbing Lamson was at that point in the cycle. And we talked about that once we had him on the show. And also once we found out that he was committed to Syracuse, that opens up other avenues. Almost like the way we talk about D.U.R. Johnson in basketball and how that could start something bigger than just your traditional class at Syracuse and what the history is. Now you look at this class, I mean, 45th in the country on 24-7 sports. That is their best class. If it ended right now that way, and like you said, maybe a couple more are coming. I think it's up to 20 now total in this class, which is a pretty healthy-sized class as is, but I would expect they're not done. So if it ended right now, or if they keep the rating at 45 how it is when it's all said and done in the class of 2021, That'd be their best rating since the class of 2007 on 247sports.com. So, by far the best one in Dino's era or tenure based on ratings. I mean, just uh, we tweeted some stuff out yesterday on the account at lo underscore Syracuse. You got Deuce Chestnut, like you said, he's your highest rated recruit in a decade. You've got Amari Hatcher, who came just this past week, beat out Penn State, beat out UVA, beat out Virginia Tech, UNC, Michigan State, and then you pick up Cruz, who had a good offer sheet. Yeah, now you're
1: starting to see them win the offer sheets.
0: Yes, yes, which,
1: which is really nice to see.
0: Yeah, Cruz had Arizona, Arizona State, West Virginia offer, Wake Forest, Louisville, Mississippi State, Indiana, to name a couple. There, I mean, that is a very solid offer sheet. Early on, that was kind of something that we poked at a little bit is the offer sheets maybe weren't quite up up to snuff, but this is more proof that Dino does his best work, it seems like, and Dino's staff does their best work at the end of the cycles.
1: And I would not be surprised if they're not done, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because remember how this class started? It was very defensive heavy. I think three or four of the first five guys that they brought in were defensive and they put the emphasis on defense and I don't blame them for that but now that you've got a quarterback now you're starting to gear your offense for the future Cruz is a building block for that, all right? You've got to solidify that offensive line, and you've seen them do that a little bit by going out to Hawaii and getting some guys. Now you've got a guy in Cruz who is going to be brought in, likely to block the blind side for Justin Lamson, and then on top of that, you're going to see them spread their wings a little bit. You've seen a couple receivers coming. Maybe there's another one that's on the way as well. Tight end position is very intriguing with a guy like Landon Morris. Who knows? Are they going to go dip into the backfield a little bit alongside a guy like Josh Huff? So, those are the questions that we're going to see get answered over the next couple of weeks, months, as we get closer and closer to signing day. Again, the season has even started for 2020. Yeah. And on top of that, some of these guys might have weird high school seasons to go along with that. Are they going to be playing in the the winter? Are they going to be playing in the spring? Are they going to be playing at all? Are they playing in the fall? Some guys are. So. I know uh, Justin Lampson, his season's not going to get going until, I think they, they start the new year, because they can do that out in California. You can't do that in Syracuse, really, and start that <laughs> yeah. football season on, right. on Jan 1, but you can out in California, so that'll be uh, certainly a, a fun thing to, to watch, how this class develops, because now it seems like the talent is pouring in, and we've seen that in the past. I mean, th- think about, and again, this was the the thing with the Kadir White year, too, and, and even though Kadir White didn't pan out, but... Him and Tyrone Sampson were two guys that came in later along the cycle. Now, of course, Sampson left, and and Kadir White hasn't been the guy that Syracuse thought he was going to be. But it just kind of shows you that the talent does eventually filter in later and later as you get closer and closer to signing day. Now, Syracuse isn't, I wouldn't expect, going to be getting a guy on signing day or like the day before signing day. That's some big name guy. But over the next month, maybe month and a half, two months, that's when you might see those names pop
0: up. Yeah. No, I love this class, and again, we try to keep it real on this show. I know, obviously, we are Syracuse fans, and there's no real denying that, so we do like to look at things optimistically for the most part, but I'll be the first to tell you that I was kind of disappointed in the turnout of the class last year after a 10-win season, not really taking any leap forward, but they've really sort of backed it up this year with a very nice class which has definitely exceeded my expectations and i don't care what type of recruiting fan you are whether it's stars whether it's offer sheet however you look at things if you just
1: rankings pour yeah, into no, the highlight is,
0: tapes i mean this is a good These last class. couple guys
1: are yeah yeah mm-hmm, 45th these last in the country guys, you, you can't right.
0: ignore that and this is reason to brag about as a syracuse fan and Honestly, there hasn't been a whole lot of that football recruiting-wise. I mean, there was that great football season not that long ago that maybe we sometimes should give more talk to and more notice to. But I'm not saying I'm the biggest cheerleader for Syracuse recruiting all the time, even on the basketball side of things. And I love, love this class and what they're doing in 2021 absolutely all right so that's going to do it for this tuesday tomorrow's going to be a fun show
1: because now that we've got the depth chart in place we're going to answer this burning question because guess what there's 18 of them impact freshman that could make a a mark for the Syracuse team in 2020. So we will dive into that, and then we're also going to continue our positional previews. we got to double up tomorrow, Tim. We're going to go pass catchers and the offensive line as long as no news breaks along the way, which is apt to do in the middle of the week (laughs) for Syracuse. So we will break down all of that tomorrow. Looking forward to that. For Tim, I'm Tyler, and we will talk to you on Wednesday.